0: The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a new quarterly podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. this is need to know over the week i'm going to be publishing a number of interviews around the salisbury poisoning and some other events that have happened over the last quarter so keep an eye on us on twitter and you'll see over the next week a number of episodes coming up online as part of our show need to know so on the first episode of our series of specials about the salisbury poisoning i am joined by author and journalist edward lucas Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. Edward, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: It's great to be here on the podcast again.
0: Yes, it's it's been about a year, hasn't it, I think.
1: Lots happened since then.
0: Um, Just quickly, for the benefit of the listeners who are not familiar with you and your work, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I
1: spent 30 years as a journalist, mostly at The Economist, and I wrote a book called The New Cold War in 2008, which was dismissed as scaremongering at the time, but has sadly been rather vindicated. I now work at a think tank in Washington part-time, and I write a weekly column in The Times.
0: Well, we're going to have a quick chat about the recent Salisbury poisoning. On Sunday the 4th of March, a former Russian intelligence officer, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter Yulia were found on a bench in a catatonic state in the town of Salisbury. It has subsequently been found that the pair were poisoned. What do we know about the, the intended target, Sergei Skripal?
1: Um, Sergei Skripal was an officer in Russia's military intelligence, the GRU, which has always been one of the main targets for um, British intelligence. He was recruited when he was serving abroad, uh, was, I think, uh, initially motivated by money, but later by ideology and um, then retired from the GRU but carried on working for British intelligence. He was betrayed in 2004, we think, by a Spanish intelligence officer who went over to the Russians and he was then arrested and sentenced to jail in Russia. And he was then swapped um, in exchange for Anna Chapman and uh, part of a spy swap involving Uh, ten Russians, including her, who'd been arrested in America. He was one of four uh, people with connections to the West who were brought out. And he then lived in semi-retirement in Salisbury, um, really off the radar, I think, as far as the intelligence world was concerned, until this dramatic news broke of his poisoning with a nerve agent.
0: Why, why do we think he was sort of a target for a potential assassination?
1: Well, this is one of the big mysteries, because um, he wasn't really a, a, a piece on the board um, in the way that, say, Alexander Litvinenko was. This was Litvinenko, who your um, listeners may remember, was murdered in 2006 with a, a radioactive weapon. Uh, was actively working with MI6 on Russian organised crime and its overlap with Russian intelligence. And that doesn't excuse his murder, it does give an idea of why the Kremlin would want to bump him off. But Mr. Skripal had been pardoned, he was, um, as far as we know, not engaged in any active intelligence work. Um, the counterpart spies, like Anna Chapman, for example, travels even to to NATO countries. Um, she was in Turkey the other day. She um, was on holiday in Bangkok when this happened, and we wouldn't expect to kind of persecute or harass her, um, despite the fact she broke the law when she was in this country and in the United States. So it's a sort of a, a, a astonishing, stunning breach of the rules of the spy game, um, you know, a sort of thing we haven't seen from, since the, the 1950s, if 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 then. And has led to a lot of head scratching in Western intelligence circles about what on earth the Russians thought they were doing in targeting Mr. Skripal.
0: Yeah, because against popular belief during the Cold War, assassinations were quite rare between sort of uh, the competing agencies, weren't they?
1: Yes, I and mean, there was a kind of uh, a convention that we, uh, I mean, it was formalized in the 1980s in a, a back channel meeting in Vienna in, I think, 1984. Um, but even before that, there was an idea that you didn't um, physically target each other's spies, and you might rough them up or interrogate them quite harshly if you caught them. But you um, certainly didn't go 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 round um, bumping bump bumping them off, um, because that would sort of um, set off a, a spiral from which neither side would would benefit. And um, so I, I think it's it has to be seen as part of a sort of very audacious, brazen attempt by Mr. Putin, first of all to signal to Russian public opinion that they hunt down traitors wherever they are in the world regardless. That sends a message which will go down quite quite well in, um, in, in Russia where the KGB's mystique um, sort of spreads over to um, Mr Putin as a former KGB officer. And I think it also it sparked a furore in the West which was also kind of useful for Mr Putin because it um, brought out another thing which is that the West is always going after Russia and Russia's persecuted and besieged and surrounded. And although those two messages are slightly contradictory, um, they both resonate in different ways with the Russian population, maybe added a welcome note of geopolitical sizzle to the end of what had been a rather lacklustre election campaign.
0: Yeah I remember when we spoke last year um, about your book Deception you were describing that in um, that there's a sort of a popular idea in Russia that NATO exploited Russia during the 1990s which in Russia was uh, a very difficult time.
1: Yes this is a, a kind of retrospective myth that at the time when um, NATO was expanding re- relations with Russia were rather good and it was widely accepted um, that these countries which had suffered a lot from the Soviet Union needed a sort of extra layer of security, as it were, sort of bars on the windows and a burglar alarm for historical reasons. And Russia got a pretty good deal as part of that um, expansion that they were, um, we created something called the NATO-Russia Council. We had the NATO-Russia Founding Act. Russia was brought quite closely into Western security thinking and was the basis for what would have been very, very, very good cooperation. Um, but in the Um, as the sort of Putin years went on, Mr. Putin became more and more uh, sort of stridently anti-West and he didn't like uh, the way in which um, he felt that Russia was being excluded. The West would argue that Russia wasn't playing a constructive role in in international security and that's why we couldn't cooperate so strongly. But then history was rewritten in a way that would be familiar to anyone who studied the Soviet Union. So the whole of the 90s, instead of being a you know, years when the West was you know, perhaps not very effectively, but was trying to keep Russia afloat and support Russian democracy and um, make the best of a very difficult situation. It then became an era of deliberate humiliation and persecution. And NATO expansion, instead of being a fund, you know, basically sort of amicable and cooperative enterprise, became a part of a sort of wicked Western plot to encircle and dominate Russia. And that narrative has filtered through quite. Um, got quite deeply into Russian, Russian consciousness to the point that many Russians now believe it's true, even though if you'd asked them at the time, is this happening, they'd have said no, not at all.
0: Yeah, and, and it seems to be that Putin obviously seems to benefit from this um, this idea. And I remember you also mentioned that within the FSB itself that the, that the officers are trained in this idea that there's some grand Western conspiracy against them.
1: Yes, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the idea of Russia as a besieged fortress... And of a sort of, you know, civilisationally different from the West, has 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 gathered a lot of momentum under under Putin, and it's a way of saying to people, don't ask inconvenient questions, and be ready to make sacrifices. The motherland is under attack, so the, the paranoia and xenophobia. Uh, are quite important ingredients in the whole sort of Putin political machine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and obviously he's just recently uh, won the election again um, and the poisoning happened only a few weeks before.
1: I'd be cautious about saying election. I mean, election to me involves a degree of uncertainty and choice which are absent from the Russian one. I think the one really has to regard the, that what happened in Russia early this month as an episode of political theatre in which the script was written in advance and the only um, sort of interest in the audience point of view was the position of the props on the stage and the order in which the actors were going to deliver their lines. But we were never in any doubt about how they, um, how this thing was going to end. The two people who might have conceivably made a challenge to Putin, were, um, Boris Nemtsov from the kind of liberal wing and Alexei Navalny from the sort of strongly anti-corruption side were not on the ballot because Nemtsov is dead and um, Navalny was kept off with a mixture of bureaucratic and other legal and even physical um harassment and intimidation so um it, it slightly gives the lie to the idea that putin's incredibly popular because if he was really popular then he wouldn't worry about having any competition
0: yeah yeah he seems to it sort of reminds me of the reports of the elections of saddam hussein back in the uh, 80s and 90s <laughs> but uh, so um back to the poisoning um have there's been a lot of talk about um a particular kind of nerve agent has been used and again it being a poisoning has, has similarities to the killing of Alexander Litvinenko back in 2006 is there any significance to this type of, sort of nerve agent has been used
1: well there's a lot of questions about this um and many of which we don't have the answers to um, one question is why it didn't work because the um, yeah, this the Novichok group of NERJ agents were deve- developed as battlefield weapons and they're meant to be, um, if you mix them properly and deploy them properly, they should be instantly lethal. And it looks as though both Mr. Skripal and his daughter Yulia both got similar doses, um, but neither of them is dead. Um, they are in very gravely ill, they may never recover um but something went wrong somewhere so either novichok is not as effective as people thought maybe it works in the laboratory but not in the field maybe it was incorrectly mixed or maybe it was incorrectly um deployed but clearly something um, i didn't think this this was the intention of the kremlin um there's always you know, another question is did they want this to be a kind of invisible murder where mr Skripal would just um, be found dead and everyone would assume it was a heart attack um or were they actually trying to do it in a way that um, left russian fingerprints all over it in order to um send a sort of um, particularly powerful political message to the to the west my my guess is that they were assuming that, that the um the actual means of death wouldn't be discovered um but um that's just one of the, the sort of many questions that surround this case
0: yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of commentators expressing shock at the suggestion that the Russian government be so bold to be behind this attack. Is it far-fetched to believe that the Russian state is behind this poisoning?
1: Well, I don't see there's any other credible explanation, really. I mean, you know, various people have come up with, you know, I think the Russian um, propaganda machines come up with about 20 different conspiracy theories, ranging from sort of Syrian rebels to Ukrainians and probably kind of UFOs and everything else. <laughs> But the okay. um, um, the only, the only people who really wanted mr Skripal dead would be you know sort of the um r- r- russians who wanted to uh highlight the um the danger of being a traitor to the motherland um there was a uh, you know a sort of audacious rules breaches there's, there's lots of motives from the from, from the russian side and they had the means because this Novichok is a the Novichok class of nerve agents was de- developed in Russia. Um, Interestingly, it was developed specifically in order to get round the prohibition on chemical weapons because the, ah. the, the uh, uh, unlike other nerve agents, the ingredients are part of completely legitimate um, production of other things. So you can find them in detergents, in paints, um, in uh, um, I think fertilizer, there's not the... So, so you, it, the, the trick is um, mixing them together in exactly the right way um, with some sort of pressurized um, ampoule of pressurized gas in order to um, turn it into a spray. And that that's what makes it into a, into a weapon. And so you can produce it quite, um, uh, quite, quite, quite uh, legitimately. Um, the illegal bit comes when you actually um, combine it. And this is not something, I mean, mixing it together precisely so it actually works is not something that a, a gangster could do. This really is a state... Um, you know, it has to be done at the level, level of, a, of a state by someone who's pretty highly trained. So I think that the um, evidence of it was Russia is pretty overwhelming. And I also think the way Russia's reacted with all this sort of bluster and it's a sort of rather like after MH17, the plane that was shot down. You mm. spray conspiracy theories around muddy the water, deny everything um so and what was also quite telling was that the video of mr Skripal being arrested had been uploaded onto the russian internet a few days before the murder and that looked as though someone was sort of getting getting ready for the information attack um, that, that's quite an interesting clue
0: god that's quite icky actually thinking about that crikey yeah well um talking about the conspiracy theories for one i have noticed that it seemed to be gaining traction online yesterday was the um, was Porton Down. There, there seems to be some conspiracy theory that somehow, because Porton Down had a sample, that they're somehow responsible for this. Well, I think we
1: shouldn't spend too much time. I mean, yeah, you can always find conspiracy theories, and there are still people who believe that the attack on the Twin Towers in uh, September eleventh, two uh, 2001 was... Uh, was a conspiracy, but I think the the overwhelming it doesn 't really matter whether Portland down is seven miles or seventeen miles or twenty seven miles or one hundred and seventy miles away from the from Salisbury um, you, um, it's the way you identify nerve agents is by doing a, um, chromatography and you can um, tell the, and once you know what you're looking for, you you find it. It wouldn't surprise me at all that, uh, you know, the, one of the world's leading um, research facilities on chemical weapons um, knows exactly what they're looking for, and will have some sort of um, the chemical signature of every chemical weapon. Um, I also, I, I suspect that we were um, fairly well informed about the Novichok program in Russia in the 1990s from our um, own and allies intelligence efforts. So I, do, I don't think that it, there's any surprise that we were able to find this this um quite quite quickly uh, the, the thing i and, and, and i think we should you know look at the russian information operations that are going on around this um and study them on their own um but we shouldn't confuse that with the question of um who organized the assassination how did they do it this is not just a who done it. it's a, a how done it it's also a why done it and there's an, and then there's also a kind of what are you going to do about it and that story is still unfolding
0: and how well do you think the the British government have handled this situation?
1: I think there's been, I mean, we, we don't know how well the police investigation is going. And it's, I, I mean, I find it's unnecessarily secretive. And I think they could be giving more information away. And the the public mood in Salisbury is, is quite concerned about these sort of, you know, suddenly you know, police turn up from nowhere and take away a car which you think they could have taken away a week ago. The, the car that brought Julia Skripal from the airport had been used as a as a minicab, I think, which had been used for many other journeys since, and then suddenly the police turn up and take it away. So I, I think there's, the, there's, there's probably lessons to be learned from the police police investigation. I think from the diplomatic side, um, you know, it's, we are clearly in a weak position with both Trump and Brexit, that we're not getting very strong support from the United States and verbal support, yes, but not anything else. And it's taken some time to get our European allies on side. I'm looking forward to a vigorous and coordinated response on Monday, which I think will lead to the, um, you know, there'll be a lot of intelligence officers, or not a lot, but a number of intelligence officers ex- expelled from our from allied countries. I still think if it hadn't been for Brexit, we'd have probably found it easier to get um, everybody into line. I was delighted to see the European Union withdrawing its ambassador from Moscow. I was very sorry to see Mr Juncker, the Secretary General of the Commission, congratulating Mr Putin on his phony election. Um, so-called election victory. So I think the, the Europeans are sort of you know, squishy in places, but um, are you know, come, coming around to our support. But the key thing that what Britain's got to do is to go after the Russian dirty money. Yes. It's all very well demanding that our allies. Make sacrifices on our behalf but we are sitting on the single biggest vulnerability of the russian state which is its use of our financial system and our property market
0: what could we do to um sort of target that and and clean that up well
1: i think the first thing to do is to tackle the property market and i think we should say that anonymous companies companies where the beneficial owner is not identified um, are unable to buy real estate in london they're unable to sell real estate in london they shouldn't be allowed to rent real estate in london either as a landlord or a tenant and ultimately they shouldn't be allowed to own real estate in London if they want to sue they can turn up in person and if they turn up in person then immediately we'll know who the owner is um, but I think that would have a very beneficial effect on cleaning things up because it's a real scandal that you can turn up in London as ABC Limited of the British Virgin Islands and buy real estate as if you're a real person so that that's one big thing I think secondly we need to be much tougher on the um way in which the Russian regime, um the sort of senior people, through their sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and other relatives, um use the London financial system um that we've been afloat on a Russian a tide of dirty Russian money for for twenty years, and we've got to wean ourselves off it. Um the banking industry has been very good at lobbying against um this but we have to be a lot tougher and i think we have to um go after people who are the bankers lawyers and accountants who are involved in this money laundering and say you've got a choice you know, we, 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 we either we're going to throw the book at you um, or you tell us what you've been up to i think we also need to protect them a bit and one of the worries that i've talked to some of these people and they say well it's all very well that if i Tell tales about my Russian clients. I'll end up dead, like Stephen Kersis, who was a, a lawyer whose helicopter blew up in 2004, just as so he was about to talk, talk to the British authorities. But it, it, it requires a really, really big shift in our in our sort of financial culture. I'm afraid, and that that will be difficult, and it won't won't, won't, and it won't, won't be quick either.
0: And I suppose it's going to be harder during Brexit, because as a government, they're going to be are oh, we going to be less likely to want to rock any boats um, with all the uncertainty around Brexit?
1: I think there's a real problem there. We are dependent on we have a current account deficit, quite a substantial one. We need inflows of foreign money to plug it, and just as we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot on our trade relations with our biggest uh, export market and our biggest investment source, which is uh, which is Europe, um, is not a great time to be picking fights with all the um, other countries around the world who who um, tend to like dirty money, and that includes you know, there's Arab dirty money, there's Chinese dirty money, there's Latin American dirty money, and there's Russian dirty money, and we. I, I mean, in my view, we should scrub our system clean of all of this, but it would mean a, a change in the business model of the city of London. And um, yeah, we should, I think, for example, not be accepting big Russian companies listing here. Um, and I think we should get together with New York and Frankfurt and say, you can't listen anywhere. And the um, sort of um, developed world but that's difficult because these listings bring very large fees and they're you know, a tremendous amount of um, very um, lucrative work for a lot of, a lot of people so the, the our business model at the moment is based on competing to get these listings not turning the way for high-minded national security reasons.
0: Edward thank you so much for joining us on the show today where where could listeners find out more about you and your work?
1: I'd encourage encourage listeners to, um, they can follow me on Twitter, at Edward Lucas, and all the details about me are on my website, which is edwardlucas.com. It's a pleasure being on the show, and we'll look forward to being on again.
0: Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter, at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know.